Well, again, happy Easter. Uh, this in many ways feels uh, normal for me because I typically wear a suit, but it may not feel normal for you because typically you don't wear pajamas. Typically Christmas is when we all wear pajamas, not Easter. So this is your first pajama Easter. Hope you remember it. Take a picture of it. Post it on social media uh, to share it with your family and your friends. Uh, but we're excited wherever you're joining us from and however you're joining us. For me, it's been weird because there's many things that I worry about on a typical Easter that I'm not worried about today. I'm not worried about seating because there's plenty of seating here. I'm not worried about us running out of donuts and coffee because if your coffee runs out, just step back into the kitchen and pour another cup and then join us again. Uh, I'm not worried about parking. Uh, there's so many things that are a part of a normal Sunday that we think about or an Easter Sunday that just aren't part of this. And that's why I think this is a year that we're going to remember that's going to be uh, something that we talk about for a long, long time. I think this period is a time that we're going to talk about for a long time because it's going to make an impact on us that we won't soon forget. And I have a question for you. That's just how are you doing in the midst of all this? If you're watching on YouTube or Facebook and you can share a comment with us, please put that there and you can share with people who are also watching how you're doing. There's also a comment form on our website if you're watching there where you can let us know how you're doing. Uh, since I can't hear from you right now, I just thought I'd share with you a little bit about how I'm doing. This has been really, really hard. It's not been an easy season. And I know that some of the things I'm, I'm facing aren't nearly as hard as others, um, but I think it's a danger to try to get into a contest of who's suffering or struggling the most. I think this really hit home for me a few weeks ago when my, my son, who turned eight on Friday, learned from us that he wasn't going to have his birthday party he was expecting. He wasn't going to have all the things around his birthday he typically does. And his response was to sob. He wept. And when you watch your kid cry, it hits you in a different place. Uh, luckily, though, my wife is creative and his friends are amazing. And so everyone mailed packages to us that we wrapped and got ready for his birthday. And then yesterday, we sent him to his room for a while. We brought him out and we had our first Zoom surprise party. So all of his friends were up on the screen. He ate his favorite meal, mac and cheese and hot dogs. He had his dessert, his favorite dessert. Rice Krispie Treats, and um, we had just a great, great time. It was loud. It was chaotic. There was lots of yelling and screaming. And then we hit end meeting, and then it was all over. It was it's kind of the fastest birthday cleanup we've ever had. Um, but loud and screaming and chaotic is a little bit of what our house feels like right now. Uh, on a given day, my wife and I are both working full-time at home and trying to educate an 8-year-old and two 5-year-olds. I was homeschooled for a while, and then I swore I'd never be homeschooled again. Some of you are like, that makes sense now. He was homeschooled. Uh, I know it was actually, I had a good experience. My mom did a great job, um, but I just knew that wasn't going to be in the cards for me until now. And now we're homeschooling. And in a given day, it feels like we're going through just a, a roller coaster of emotions. We go from highs to lows and everywhere in between. There's yelling and screaming, and that's just me and my wife, you know, and, and then there's our kids, and it's not been easy. I feel like every night we get to the dinner table, and it's this giant, you know, what are you sorry for today? You know, a, a sorry fest. I'm sorry to this. I'm sorry I did that. I feel like I, at every night, have the most to apologize for because I'm, I'm having to deal with my own struggles, my own weakness, my own brokenness in front of my family every day, and, and it's, it's not been easy. Uh, I would tell you that maybe the, the hardest environment to write a sermon is the one that I wrote this sermon in. Uh, it's not been uh, something that's, that's come really easy. 
And I think during this time, we're all experiencing maybe a leveling of playing fields. We're all experiencing unique challenges during this time, but we all have this challenge to talk about that we're all going through. And during this time, there's been two things that I have been thinking about that I think we're growing more and more aware of. And the first one is that death is real. Many of us know somebody who's gotten COVID-19. And some of us know someone who's died from COVID-19. And so we're reminded that death is real for all of us. We're also reminded that life is incredibly fragile. That, that our plans, our expectations, the things we put on the calendar, the, the ideas and goals and dreams we have, they're not as much in our control as we thought they were. And as some have said, we haven't lost a sense of control in this season. What we've lost is the illusion that we were ever in control. And as we're navigating a life and a future and a 2020 that feels nothing like what we expected, I think a lot of us are feeling a ton of emotions. As many emojis as there are on your phone to choose from, there are emotional responses to what we're going through. Some of you have dealt with a lot of anger in recent days. You're angry at what happened. You're angry at what people decided to do. You're angry at what other people are doing in response. You're angry when you go to the grocery store. You know, you're just angry. Others of you, you're anxious, and I can certainly relate to that. You're already maybe dealing with anxiety before this all happened, and then your anxiety went to another level as you've been going through this. Some of us have isolated. We're all physically isolated right now, but we've kind of emotionally isolated and pulled away from people. Others of us have, have gone the other route and hyper-connected. We're always on our phones. We're always watching the news. We're always on social media. We're always connected. And every Sunday morning, I get an alert on my phone from Apple. It tells me how much I've been on my screen. And those numbers have been way up during this season. And I've been trying to figure out ways to, to bring those numbers back down. Some of us in this season, we've hoarded. Some of you have more toilet paper than you could ever use in a lifetime. Please share. Uh, others of you have more rice and beans than you could ever consume. And others of us, we're not hoarding. We're actually over-consuming. We're not sure if we put our regular pants back on from our sweatpants, if they'll still fit. We're, we're not certain if, if the things that we've eaten are actually making us better or making us worse, the things that we're taking into us in terms of information and data and news. And we're trying to make sense of each day as it comes because none of this is what we saw coming. And it's that experience that I think people in the scriptures could relate to and I think we can connect through. See, the Bible was not written by people who were less intelligent, um, who were less evolved than us. They were, the Bible it records the stories of people who are just as imperfect, broken, trying to make sense of life as it comes, just like we are. And one of the books in your Bible, in my Bible, is written by a man named John. He was one of the closest friends of Jesus. And after Jesus had, had returned to heaven, John recorded what he saw in a biography of sorts. And our church read through the book of John over the last six weeks to get ready for Easter. And in John's book, near the end, he talks about why he would take all this time to pull from journals and records to, to describe what he saw, to tell us why this happened to tell us why he wrote it all. Here's what he said. This is why I went to the effort of writing this all down. He said, but these are written, these things that I'm telling you are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote the book that he wrote. 
That's why he recorded the events he recorded. So that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ. Christ is in his last name, like Savage is my last name. It's his title. It means Messiah. He wrote these things down so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that by believing, we would have life in his name. Not eternal life way distant in the future, but life beginning now, full and abundant. Now, I know that there are a variety of people watching this service today. There's some of you that Easter is the highlight of your year. You look forward to it every year. You're a part of it every year. You believe it all. There's others of you who are tuning in today who maybe this is your first time connecting with church in a long time. Maybe you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus and Easter and the resurrection and all these things. And if that's you, I am so glad that you're here. You're in the right place. You're at home. And I think today is an opportunity for you. It's an opportunity for you to consider what this all means here and now for you. And there's two questions I want to pose for you this morning. And they're these. Is Jesus who he said he was? And not just who I'm saying he is, not just who the church has said he is, but in his own words written by one of his closest friends, is Jesus who he said he was? And then second, what is he offering you? In the middle of the challenge, the crisis, this moment, what is he offering and making available to you today? I'd encourage you to consider these two questions. Today, we're going to talk about a story A real-life moment that John recorded in his biography of Jesus. And from it, we're going to see this central truth. It's our big idea today, if you're taking notes. That with Jesus, death isn't the final outcome. New life is. We're living in a world where we're all having to face that whether it's from COVID-19 or something else, we are all going to die. And yet... The truth of resurrection, the truth of Easter Sunday, is that with Jesus, that death, whenever it comes, isn't the final outcome. New life is. I mentioned we're going to jump into John's biography today, and we are. We're going to be in chapter 11 of the book of John. So I encourage you to turn on your Bible or open it up and go to the book of John. It's about 80% of the way through the Bible. It comes after Luke's biography of Jesus and before Luke's historical account of the early church called the book of Acts. And we're in John chapter 11. And from John chapter 11 and what John records from the life of Jesus, today we're going to see four insights into who Jesus is. Not who Jesus was for those people then, but who he was for them then and who he still is today for you and for me. And here's the first insight that we see. That Jesus often acts in ways that don't make sense to us. I know you may think, man, I must be the only one who... What Jesus does, it doesn't make sense. No, you're not the only one. You're one in a long line of people who've seen Jesus act in ways that didn't make sense to them. And we see that in this particular moment. In chapter 11, verse 1, this is what we read. Now a certain man was ill. His name was Lazarus of Bethany. Bethany was the village of Mary and her sister Martha, who were Lazarus' sisters. So the sisters sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God 
so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, who's named Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, if you were paying attention as I was reading that and you were following along, you may have noticed something that didn't make sense to you. And it's, it's good. That shouldn't make sense to you. Because in the previous verse, it says, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And you probably thought, why did he stay longer when he got this news? Why didn't he immediately go? That's the exact same thing I thought. A couple years ago, I got a a phone call early one morning from my dad that my mom had a heart attack. And I didn't wait around two days longer. No, I got in my car, broke many speed limits, and drove to where my mom was as fast as I could. That's what I did. Because I love my mom. And so if Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, why on earth did he wait? It's okay to ask that question. And it's especially relevant because of the meaning of Lazarus's name. You see, Lazarus's name comes from the Hebrew word Eleazar, which means whom God helps. So it seems so odd that if Lazarus is somebody loved by Jesus, if his name literally means the one whom God helps... Why on earth did Jesus wait? It's a great question. It's a question you may be asking right now. Why is Jesus waiting to meet this need in my life? Why is Jesus waiting to solve this problem that I'm facing? Why is Jesus waiting to to work out the situation that's causing me such anxiety and worry and confusion? Why is Jesus waiting To make this all right. Why is Jesus allowing? The question why is a very normal human question. And we can't always understand what Jesus is doing. Because his thoughts aren't our thoughts. What he sees is not what we see. Certainly the ways that God works aren't always the way we would like him to work. But we know in this particular story, because we know how it ends, what Jesus was doing. What Jesus was doing is he was actually making the challenge harder for himself. If he'd gone immediately, there's a possibility he would have not, you know, he would have gotten there early enough and Lazarus would not have died. But by waiting, in essence, he is ensuring that Lazarus is going to die. And uh, Bible experts, scholars say that what Jesus was doing was setting up an epic duel with the most powerful enemy in the world. Death. This wasn't the first kind of heavyweight bout that had happened in the scriptures. In the the book of Exodus, we read the story of Moses going toe-to-toe with Pharaoh and the God of the Hebrews and Moses going against the gods of the Egyptians and Pharaoh and the story that's told in the movie Ten Commandments and the story of the ten plagues that God sends to free his people. We see another epic showdown in the book of 1 Kings where Elijah goes to a high mountain against the 450 prophets of Baal and God rains down fire from heaven and shows that he's real and powerful. And by waiting, what Jesus was doing is making sure that everyone knew that Lazarus was dead. 
In this day, in the day the Bible was written, the way in the, in the world that John was written, people believed that, that, that within three days after somebody died, they could come back from the dead. But if you went past the third day into the fourth day, everyone believed that that person was totally dead and totally hopeless of coming back from the dead. And as I was reading about that and learning about that, one of my favorite movies ever came to mind. And one of the most quoted moments of that movie came to mind. It's the movie Princess Bride, where this lovely man says, there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. (laughs) Mostly dead is slightly alive. And in this particular situation, Jesus is making sure that everyone knew this is not mostly dead. This is all dead. He is totally gone. That's the first thing we see about Jesus is that what he does often doesn't make sense to us. Second thing we see about Jesus is that Jesus enters into close personal relationship with people he loves. While we might not understand what he's doing, while his actions might not make sense to us, what he is doing with us is coming into close personal relationship with us and he loves people. In this story, the people he loves according to John 11, are named Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And so when Jesus finally shows up at their house, six days after they called for him, it says that Martha heard Jesus was coming and she went out and she met him, but Mary remained remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give to you. She still had some hope. That Jesus could work. Later, when Martha had been talking to Jesus, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and he's calling for you. Jesus wants to see you, Mary. So when the Jews who were with Mary in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him the exact same words. We just heard Martha say, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You see in this moment that what Mary and Martha are doing is they're responding in different ways. As soon as Martha hears that Jesus is near, she goes to him as fast as she can and Mary waits at home. And while they say the same words, they're processing those words and emotions in very different ways. And I just want to give you the the freedom and the encouragement that however you are navigating and processing this moment, it's okay. There's no one right way to process something that's never happened before that you don't feel prepared for. And so if in this season you felt anxious, that's okay. You felt angry, that's okay. You felt discouraged, that's okay. You felt confused, that's okay. If you feel like this you know, temptation to pull away from people and God, that's okay. If you feel this drive to draw closer to him, that's okay. We see this, that Jesus, when he is working, people are processing it lots of different ways. But I want you to see not what they do, but what Jesus does. The story continues that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, that's Mary, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit and he was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Where have you laid Lazarus? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, if you're looking to memorize one, this is the easiest. John 11, 35, Jesus wept. 
the Greek language is very pictorial. And the image that's given there for the word wept is the image of somebody exploding into tears. Jesus finally broke. He broke down. He sobbed. He wept because he loved Lazarus, because he loved Mary, because he loved Martha, and he was present with them in their pain. The reason why I said it's okay that you are wherever you are and emoting whatever you're emoting is that Jesus is present with you in all of those emotions, and he has felt every emotion. Scriptures tell us that Jesus was tempted in every way and everything that has come our way came his way when he walked on the earth. This is one of the reasons why in recent days I've been so mesmerized by the painting that Vincent Van Gogh did of this story. This is the painting he did many years ago with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. He tried to describe in an image what happened in these words. And you might say, Scott, I see Lazarus, and I see Martha, and I see Mary, but this picture is missing one person. It's missing Jesus. And Van Gogh said that he didn't present Jesus in a person in this picture. He presented him through the sun and through the light that all of the picture describes. You know if you've seen his most famous painting starry night that it is a a picture of light amidst darkness and the same thing is true here that what van gogh does is he shows every piece of this image touched by the light and i just want to encourage you that wherever you are and whatever you're experiencing you are somewhere where god can be present with you there is no emotion there is no experience there is no struggle that god cannot come alongside you in and be present with you in And what Jesus has done and continues to do is he comes into close relationship with people he loves. And when they weep, he weeps. And when they grieve, he grieves. And what they feel, he feels too. Third insight from Jesus, his life here, is we see that Jesus is outraged by the power of death and he does something about it. One of the questions that we begin to ask ourselves when Jesus doesn't make sense what he's doing and when we're feeling strong emotions is we wonder, does Jesus care? And is he going to do anything about what I'm experiencing? And we see in this story the truth that he does care, that he is outraged, and he's going to do something about it. We skipped over this verse in terms of talking about it earlier, but in verse 33 it says, When Jesus saw Mary weeping... And the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Now, I told you earlier that the language that John wrote this in was in Greek. We're reading an English translation today. But in the Greek language, this phrase, deeply moved in his spirit, is the same phrase that would have been used if someone saw an animal getting frustrated and beginning to grunt. And so the image I want you to think of when it comes to Jesus being deeply moved in his spirit is the image of a warthog that's getting angry, beginning to grunt. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus had tusks. I'm not saying for sure, kids, that Jesus was Pumbaa. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus is grunting. He's, he's deeply moved. He's getting frustrated with what he saw. It also says that he was greatly troubled. In the passage. And this phrase, greatly troubled, is this image of, of an animal preparing to attack, 
almost like a, a bull preparing to charge. And so you have Jesus who's being stirred up. He's grunting. He's getting frustrated. He's getting moved to the point where he is about to pursue and act and enter into the situation to do something about it. This is the reason why commentator John Calvin said Jesus was as a champion who prepares for a conflict. Jesus is moved by what's happened to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And he is about to step into this conflict, not just to help his friend, but to face his greatest enemy, our greatest enemy, death. And today, as you're navigating a situation you've never seen before, as you're navigating a challenge that none of us have ever faced before, I need you to know that Jesus sees, Jesus knows, Jesus cares, and he is doing something about it. And in this story, we see an example of what he does. Number four, Jesus shows his power to raise the dead to life. Jesus shows that he has the power even when someone is dead, to bring life. Now, in this day, in the first century, within the Jewish world, there was a belief by many in an idea of resurrection. We'll see this in a second in the words of Mary, but many people believed that at the end of time, those who believed would be raised to life. But Jesus is not talking about the idea of resurrection in this moment. And today, we're not challenging you to believe in the idea of resurrection. In this story, resurrection is more than idea. The resurrection is a person. And that person is Jesus. And we see this kind of dialogue right here in John 11. Jesus says to, to Martha, he says, Martha, your brother Lazarus will rise again. Martha says to Jesus, I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus is saying, I'm not inviting you to mentally believe in some intellectual idea. I'm asking you to put your faith and trust in me because I am the resurrection and I am the life. And when you believe in me and when you trust in me, though you die, you will live. This is why Oswald Chambers said that there's a difference between devotion to a principle, an idea, and devotion to a person. Jesus Christ never proclaimed a cause. He proclaimed personal devotion to himself. Today, we're not inviting you to believe in the principle of resurrection. We're inviting you to believe in the person of resurrection, Jesus, who, as we're going to see in a second, not only raises his friend to life, but he himself comes to life. And what happened to Jesus is possible in you in the same way that it happened in him. Here's how the story ends. It says, then Jesus, <laughs> deeply moved again, comes to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead. And this is where the Bible is just so honest. It tells us how people actually respond to things. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to Jesus, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. Jesus, I love my brother, but he stinks. His body's decomposing. 
Jesus says to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So what they do, they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they might believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with the cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus, with his friend, who certainly didn't understand what Jesus is doing, why he didn't come and heal him earlier, with his friends who he wept with, Jesus, who was frustrated, troubled, and moved by what death had done in the life of his friends, Jesus brought him to life. Sky Jathani is an author, and he introduced me to that painting by Van Gogh. And he said, the story of Jesus raising the Lazarus from the dead is not Jesus' way of saying, look at what I can do. It's his way of saying, look at who I am. Jesus was showing us not what he was capable of doing, but who he was. And he said in his own words, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. Believe in me. And from that day until now, there has been a massive dividing of people. Those who believe and those who don't. Those who are excited at what Jesus is doing and those who think it's bad and wrong. And in that moment, as this giant crowd who was there to mourn Lazarus' death saw Lazarus come out of the grave, some believed that Jesus really was the Messiah. And some said, nope, this is a problem. We got to fix it. And so those people went to the religious leaders and said, Jesus is a problem. He's going to raise a revolution. The Romans are going to come down on us. This guy is up to no good. We have to fix the problem. And one man, Caiaphas, who was the high priest, he said these words. You know, nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for one man that he should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. Caiaphas said, the solution to this is we kill Jesus. Because it's better that Jesus die for all the people than all of us die. Caiaphas, in the moment, unknowingly, was prophesying and foretelling what Jesus would do. Because, in fact, Jesus died for all. Just a short time later, Jesus would be unjustly arrested beaten, unjustly tried, convicted, beaten again, and then crucified and died. And his death is significant not just because he died, but because as the perfect son of God, sinless, he took the punishment that was due you and due me. And he died for each of us so that we might live. And we celebrate on Easter that he was raised for all. That he conquered death and he gives us the power to conquer the power of death today too. That's why we said at the beginning that with Jesus, death isn't the final outcome. New life is. And I just want to encourage you that maybe this year more than any other, this is not a hypothetical conversation. This is as real as it gets. Some of you are facing death in 2020 in a way you never have before. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. 
someone who's sick. Maybe it's the death of your financial security or your vision of what the future was going to look like. Maybe you're a high school senior and it's the death of your senior year and all that you hoped that would be. Maybe it's the death of of your sanity, your peace. I don't know what it is that has died or is dying right now. But the hope that we have in Easter is that with Jesus, everywhere that we have experienced death, that death is not the final outcome new life is and that's why we're so excited to celebrate on a day easter that we remember the resurrection that we remember the empty tomb because if jesus died for us and he came back to life then not only can he bring resurrection in lazarus's life he can be resurrection in my life he can turn my pain into joy he can turn my burnout into new life new energy. He can turn my anxiety, my depression into hope, into joy. And he can do the same thing for you. So today, as we close, I want to challenge you with some next steps, some things to do this week practically to put what we've been talking about into practice. And here's the first one. I want to encourage you to identify where Jesus's actions don't make sense to you. I want to encourage you to be ultra honest with God. The scriptures give us permission to be honest with God. In the middle of the Bible is a book called Psalms, and it is the most honest book in the Bible because it is song after poem after song after poem from people who are not seeing God work the way they thought he should, and they gave voice to that. And so if you're struggling right now, and what's happening around you, what's happening in you, doesn't make sense, identify that. Bring that before Jesus and talk about that honestly with him. Number two, ask yourself, where do I see myself in Lazarus? In the same way that Vincent Van Gogh did, look at this story and say, what do I see and how do I see myself in it? If you've never seen a a painting of Vincent Van Gogh, a a self-portrait, then you don't notice this. But Vincent Van Gogh had red hair and he had a red beard. And in this painting, Lazarus has red beard and red hair. Van Gogh painted Lazarus as a self-portrait of himself because he said, I am Lazarus. Call me Lazarus. Now, some might say that was indulgent to paint himself into the story. But when you read this story today, my hope is that you would have seen yourself there. Somebody who asked questions about Jesus, this doesn't make sense to you. Jesus, do you care about me? Jesus, can you do anything about this? Jesus, will you meet me in this and change this? And the answers to all of those questions are yes. All of us have an opportunity to see ourselves as Lazarus. And all of us have an opportunity to experience what Lazarus did. If I had time today, I would tell you about the places where Jesus has brought life out of death in my life. I would tell you about the places where I have been Lazarus again and again and where Jesus has met me and where Jesus has changed me. And that's what I'm believing for you today. That's why the third step is this. I want to invite you to choose to trust Jesus to bring resurrection in your life. Only you know the true state of your heart. 
Only you know the true state of your life. And I want to invite you. What would it mean for you to trust that the same Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead, the same Jesus who himself conquered the grave, how does he want to bring resurrection in you? I'll leave you with the words of Jesus who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That is possible for you today. If you believe. It's possible for Jesus to not only change your eternal destiny. And take you to eternal life. But bring life to you today where you live. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. That because of technology, we, across these cities and around the world, we can gather today to worship you. We thank you that we can talk about life not as we would like it to be, but as it is. We thank you that you've invited us to come to you with honesty, vulnerability. We can come to you because you have been tempted in every way as we are. We can come to you because you've experienced all the range of human emotions. And not only because you are God do you know what we're feeling, but you know what those feelings feel like because you've been there. Before we even drew a breath, you came. You took on human flesh. You walked around just like us. And you took for us the penalty that was ours. You felt the weight of our sin and our brokenness. The consequences it caused the world. And you were a sacrifice for us. So that we could be forgiven. And you didn't stay in that grave. But you conquered it. And for 2,000 years you've been bringing life out of death. You've been taking circumstances and people that seemed hopeless and lost and you've been bringing them the new life. Jesus, I don't know, literally, because I can't see anybody. I don't know who's watching this, but you do. And I believe that you led people to these streams on these platforms who have been experiencing an unsettling and an awakening in these days who need to begin a relationship with you and need to experience you bringing life out of death. If you're one of those people and you've heard God speaking to you today, stirring in you today, and you said, you know what? I'm Lazarus. I'm dead. I need to come to life. Then I want to invite you to pray with me this morning. A simple prayer. Jesus, I'm Lazarus. On my own, I'm dead. I'm without hope, I'm broken, and I don't see a way forward. Would you come in and bring me to life? Forgive my sins, heal my heart, turn my past into a new future, and give me hope. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and that you came back from the dead. I believe that you have power in my life to do what I can. And I pray that you would do it starting right now. I believe. I trust in you, Jesus. Amen.